back to another episode, the fourth to be exact, of Better Not Perfect. My name is Dr. Shay Butler, and I'm the author of Better Not Perfect, From Hot Mess to Life Success, A Woman's Guide to Learning, Loving, and Being Herself Unapologetically. I'm also, in addition to being an author, I am a speaker, a writer. I am an executive turned entrepreneur. And what I love most, I am a wife and a mom. I'm so excited that you have joined us. Um, And if you've tuned in to the past episodes, welcome back. If you're new to Better Not Perfect, thanks for coming in and checking us out for the first time. I hope you like what you hear and I hope you'll share it. So what we've been doing is we've been just talking about some key elements of the book and what using sort of my memoir as a roadmap and as an example of this unending pursuit of perfectionism and how um, it can be destructive and how there are opportunities that exist for us to be able to shed that and move away from perfection and towards a life that's better one day at a time. So with that, we want to move away from perfectionism and focus on a life that's better one day at a time. So we're here today talking about chapter four of Better Not Perfect. And if you know, if you've been following along, in addition to sharing the title of the chapter, I've also been sharing the lyrics of a song that's in the book, reminiscent of that time in my life. I always kind of try to choose a song of the age that, um, of the age and stage of life that I was in at the time. And this one, I think many of you will know, it's a true classic by a very popular person from a very popular family. The title of the chapter is School Days, College and the Onset of Chaos. And the song I chose was by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis as sang by Janet Jackson. And it's the lyrics, got my own mind. I want to make my own decisions when it has to do with my life. I want to be the one in control. Love that part. (laughs) So. 16, just started college. I was truly a woman now, or so I thought. And yep, I wanted to be the one in control. So high school graduate, I don't have to live by, quote unquote, my mother's rules anymore. Um, I was blazing new trails. I was testing out my boundaries. And I was launching full speed ahead into what I was going to make of this college experience. Even though if you've been following along, you know, back in the last chapter, I talked about being a teen mom and all the challenges that came with that. Well, one of the things, one of the benefits of having the parents that I had was that both were committed to education and ensure that I would still not miss a beat, even though I had the baby. So at 16, I was able to enroll and start in college in New York City. And because I had arrived at that point, some of the freedoms were now being granted to me (laughs) uh, that would be granted to, you know, uh, any college student, you know, I guess in in my house, um, living at home, I couldn't live off campus because I was still a mom. 
But my mother had this rule that as long as I took care of my daughter, as long as I did my homework, as long as I helped out around the house, then I could have as close to a college experience um, as possible. So I was able to have a social life. What happened, however, is I totally overdid that social life. I drove my mother nuts, y'all. I am like literally not kidding you. I drove that woman crazy because I could not keep a curfew to save my life. But, you know, I was young. I was free. I was in the city and I, I just wanted to just have fun while in college. So, yeah, a lot of partying, um, too much partying. So much so to two years and I don't know how many academic appeal letters. They finally got sick of me partying and said, you know, all right, the party, but you're not doing your work. You got to like find some balance here. And I wasn't able to find it. Um, had great friends, great relationships out every night. I tell a really interesting slash funny story in this chapter about a night out on the town and how I was dancing to this song by Janet on the dance floor. I don't know how many rum and cokes and like I had kicked back at that time, my drink of preference during that, <laughs> during that time and how many Long Island iced teas, my second drink of preference during that time. But I drank enough that I completely lost control in the middle of the dance floor, shimmy and shoulders and all during this song and um, yeah, not interest, not 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 a good thing. So if you want to find out what happened, it's it's a story worth a read and a chuckle. Um, but yeah, so for me it was really all about control, and um, I didn't realize that I completely lost it. And it's so metaphoric that it was you know to this song around the time that I was failing out of school. And everything else was kind of spinning and spiraling because I was drinking so much. I mean, I was hanging out and I was drinking a lot with my friends who also drank a lot. And we'd get in cars and go to parties and do all this college shooting stuff. And um, yeah, I lost my focus. And so eventually failed out of school. But, you know, having a mom that I knew I could not go back to, one, for the shame. I had so much shame associated with failing out of school. Here, this woman invested so much of her her life into making sure that in spite of getting pregnant I, and having a baby, that I would be positioned to succeed. I was not going to go back to her and say I blew it. So what I did instead was... I began to live a double life. And so I acted like I was going to school every day. And what I did do was I found a job and I went to work. I mean, my mom had this amazing work ethic my entire life, you know, and she role modeled, you know, hard work. So I knew if I wasn't going to be in school, I had to be doing something. I had to be doing something productive. So while I was trying to figure it out, um, I found a job, I went to work and I put on my backpack every morning, like I was going to class and I don't even think my mom, well, 
she didn't know. Because when I actually told her like what had happened, I was maybe 30 in graduate school with my graduate degree. And she said, what? I never knew that. I mean, at some point I told her I was going to take some time off from school. But for that first year, I think I for a year, I was just leading this crazy double life existence where I had everyone believing I was still in college. But yeah, I mean, so I went to work and I couldn't believe the mess I had made of my life. And I didn't know how long I was going to be able to to do this, but I did know that there was this moment, this sort of an awakening moment, um, one of several in my life. But this one in particular, I was at work and there were, my boss was like, two years older than me and not a very good boss. And I remember thinking to myself, if I would be, if I would get my degree, I could be in this role. And I'm like, I don't like living like this anymore. I want to go back to school. And at that time I had the maturity to really make it happen. But I also understood, I was mature enough to understand the environment I was in was not a good one for me. And I had to change up something, you know, and I changed up my location. I applied to and went away to school and I took my daughter with me. And I guess what was sort of great and majestic about it was that before I got pregnant, I always knew I wanted to go away to school. I was watching shows like the Cosby show and, um, 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 a different world, which was, you know, really about college life. And I was like, oh, I can't wait till I go away to college. Well, I did go away to college. It wasn't like a traditional college student, but I still went away and I still gave myself a semblance of a college experience. And while away, I think it was a great thing for me because it really helped give me the independence and really have to woman up, take care of my daughter, and while she went to school during the day, I went to school during the day. And we just kind of built this life, you know, um, and we made it we made it work. We made it work. And, you know, after I, I finally graduated, I got back in at 21, graduated at 23. Um, I moved back down to the city. Not a good thing for me because in moving back, I picked up some of my old bad habits and had a relationship that ended and because I've I've never really at that point had learned what those triggers of trauma were for me when I was younger I didn't I didn't um how can I say this I, I really didn't I had this this reaction to loss or pain um that was typical of my 12 year old self if that makes sense so I stuffed feelings. Um, you know, one of the things I learned um, that I did too was flight, right? So there's like <laughs> freeze or flight. Well, I'm a flighter. I'm going <laughs> to take off. <laughs> so I took off and I, I relocated back to um, the capital region of New York where, where I'm currently a resident and went to grad school and made, you know, sort of begin to cobble a new life and a new identity and existence for myself. But you know, um, even within all of that, I was still on this search for just trying to 
fit in, try to find myself, try to, you know, I just didn't, I didn't have any peace or comfort. You know, I, I didn't know what I was searching for. I just knew that I was in search of something and I fell back on some of those old habits of, of drinking and partying and, you know, trying to balance it with motherhood and hide it, um, you know, for my daughter, this, this, you know, not positive behavior. And that's when I come up on doing this for a number of years until I got into that position that I was in chapter one, a hot mess. So taking the time, it was like this five-year period between 23 and 28, where I was making all of this progress professionally. I had gotten that graduate degree. I was out there, quote unquote, making moves. I was getting involved in committees and doing, you know, on community boards. And everyone thought that I was just living this great life and that I had it going on. And inside, I just felt like I wasn't happy with my life. And while it might have looked great to other people, it didn't feel great to the one who was living it. And at the root cause of it is this pursuit of perfection. This pursuit of, yeah, I had all these amazing things going on, but I didn't have a I didn't have love, a real love in my life. I didn't, I wasn't on this path to, to marriage. And, and, and I felt because of that reason, I didn't have it all. And I wanted it all. I did. And so I was in pursuit of it all. And I was in pursuit of it because I had this attitude of perfectionism that I now understand was really derived from the trauma of the response I got from my community, those most close to me when I got pregnant. There was a lot of loss in my life during that period. There was the initial loss in my life that I talked about at 12, losing my grandmother. But in the same formative years, what I saw was more loss that came the loss of my childhood, the loss of my friendships when mothers learned, the mothers of my friends learned that I was pregnant. You know, I lost my friends. When my church community found out I was pregnant, I was ostracized within that community. Um, when my neighbors found out I was pregnant, I got looks and I felt disconnected from community. And it was such a period of loss. Um, and I remember how I felt. And I remember how I responded. You know, my mother said to me, and I'll never forget, she said to me, you hold your head up high in spite of this, in spite of this, because there are other people out there who've done things as well who failed, who's made mistakes. You're not the only one. And just because yours is a public shame, being married, being pregnant out of marriage, out of wedlock, and as a teenager, 
She said, they have shame too, but it's just hidden. So you hold your head up. I mean, her whole thing to me was always hold your head up. And that helped me build resilience, but it also helped me. It also forced me to like build a wall, an emotional wall around myself. And at a space and place where I took an attitude of I'll show them. And so, I mean, if you think about your life, did you ever have an I'll show them moment that maybe someone didn't believe in you, whether it was a teacher or a friend or a family member, and you could take one of two choices, I guess, or paths. And you could say, "Mm -hmm, I'll prove you wrong, which is the path I chose. Or you could say, maybe you're right and become that self-fulfilling prophecy. And I know people who've done both. I mentor, sponsor, have coached women. And I know there are people who've taken one or the other or the other of those paths. The path I took put me on this path to perfectionism. But it also stirred up in me the whole notion around imposter syndrome. Because no matter what I did in every accolade I drove, strived for, I never felt like it was enough. I always felt like I'm not here because I worked hard in my excellence. I'm here Um, And if they really knew that I didn't know everything, if they really knew I applied for this 10 bullet job and I only had eight of the real qualifications and these two I'm still working on. And I know a lot of women can relate to that because they say, they give the example that when men apply for a job, if they meet three out of 10, they're like, yeah, I can do that. (laughs) When women look at those same 10 bullets If they scroll through and see that there's nine that they can do, but one that they can't do, that we take this turn of, oh, uh, I don't know. They probably won't hire me. Maybe I shouldn't apply. So, yeah. And then we wind up taking those jobs, going to the interview, you know, and getting a job and feeling like imposters. So what happens? We loop into this whole perfectionism. I am going to work my tail off to show them that I deserve to be here And then we pursue for perfectionism in terms of every project, every, you know, we're always holding ourselves up to some type of standard that we will never reach. And that's why no award was ever enough for me. No certificate, no board appointment, no, it was always pursuit of more because in my mind, I was still showing them people who had long since moved on, not thought about me, not giving me another thought. In my mind, they were still driving my quest for more. And so I wasn't complete and I couldn't call myself in my mind a true success unless I got the full package, the all of it, the husband, more kids, the two and a half car, two and a half kids. That's what it is. Not two and a half cars. (laughs) Two car garage, two and a half kids, dog, house, yeah, yada, yada, et cetera. So here we are, you know, this pursuit of perfection, this never, not enoughism, carrying the weight of that. And it was a struggle, but keep listening because this does turn out better. So with that, 
we do have a question from uh, one of our readers, and we're going to listen. Hello, Dr. Shay. Thank you so much for this book, Better Not Perfect. It has been so refreshing to read your stories and to hear of your strength and your resilience and your power. It's it's inspiring. It has done tremendous for works for me and for the women that I work with. Um, my question is on judgment. What do you feel or how do you feel about the judgment that we receive or can potentially receive based on telling our truth, right? Um, I often preach about sharing our truth, but at times it can be scary. So my question, I guess, is how do you overcome the fear of telling your truth when you know your truth will set you free? Hmm. What a great question, Miranda. Um, yeah, the truth does set you free, but I guess I would say it's important to pick your audience. So my audience at this season of my life is the world <laughs> because I wrote this like fully transparent, you know, authentic, you know, not um, memoir of my life story. And I bear it. I bear my soul in it. And I talk about very um, embarrassing and sometimes shameful moments. But I made the decision to tell the story so that it would help other women heal and get better. So I had to dig deep and find courage to do that. But it took me nine years. It took me nine years to build up the courage. Now, some of the story I was still living and I couldn't write it yet because there were some things that I still had to go through. I realize now to be able to make this meaningful and impactful. And I didn't have the boldness and I didn't have the courage back then. So sometimes it's about timing. You know, it's about on this road to better, you know, we don't wake up free, but we get free little by little every day. And so I would urge any woman who's seeking to find the courage to tell her truth, that she should one, be very discerning. She should check her motives because I think it's important that we all check our motives. I, I didn't write this because I thought it would launch me to, to fame. I knew I was taking a big risk in writing this, but I said to myself, if this book can help even just a handful of women overcome some of the things that I've had to overcome in life, or if they can find themselves in some of the pages and say, she made it, so maybe I can make it, then, and these women took the messages and made some positive change, then to me, that would have been worth worth it. Um, I think we always have to check our motives because if our motives are about helping others, then that's a good starting place. The other thing I would say is I would caution you or any other woman who wants to tell their truth. Um, sometimes there's a price to be paid. Sometimes part of your truth may involve other people who may not be as comfortable with you telling the whole truth. So you have to be discerning. And I'm going to say it flat out. Some people may not be worth your truths. You know, you, you have to just, there's a, in my holy text, there's a, a, 
a verse that says, don't throw pearls to swine. Now that doesn't mean that I'm calling people swine. I mean, pigs, sometimes there can be piggy people, but that's not what I'm saying. It's what I'm saying is you have to use wisdom and discernment about when to share and when to disclose and when not to, and what to disclose. So I would say the the answer to your question, it's discernment, check your motives, find the courage, pace yourself. Freedom is a journey. Uh, So yeah, I hope that was helpful to you. So we're wrapping up another session and I am so happy you decided to join us for this episode of Better Not Perfect. We will be back again next week and next week we are bringing in a special guest and I'm really excited about it because um, on the road to better and I started that process in this stage of my life and reaped some really amazing benefits on the back end of it. So if you want to hear the previous episodes and um, want to connect and know when I'll be speaking or um, when I'll be going live, because I will be going live this week and sharing some other motivational quotes, then go to my website, drshaybutler.com. That's www.drshaibutler.com. And there you will find out how to contact me, event dates. You'll see my social media handles. And please follow me. And if you really like this episode, click like and subscribe to the channel. Thanks. And I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.